Elijah 5. And we'll start reading from verse 1 this morning. You read this. It says, after, after this there, the feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there is Jerusalem by the sheep market, a pool which is called by, in the Hebrew Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at, cer- at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, and knew uh, that he had been a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man, when it was troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed, and walked. And on the same day, walked the Sabbath. Let's just open a prayer this morning. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we do thank you for this wonderful day. We thank you, Lord, for your word. And we pray, Lord, as we um, consider this past morning, you'd speak to each of us. Lord, I pray if there's anybody here who doesn't know you as a saviour this morning, that, Lord, you would uh, speak to their hearts through this passage in particular, Lord, we pray. And we bless this time, empower me through your spirit, and give me wisdom as I speak. Pray that it be your words and your thoughts this morning, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, here in John chapter 5, we have is the, uh, recorded for us the story of the healing of a Christian. And this event takes place at a place called Bethesda, the pool of Bethesda. And Bethesda means house of mercy, and that's what this place was considered to be, a place of mercy. All of the, the, the crippled, the lame, the sick would gather beside the pool, and they were there seeking to be cured. They were seeking to be cured of their ailments. You see, the pool was filled with water, a spring nearby, and the spring would gush at unpredictable, and so the water would rise and fall or be disturbed as the passage says here. And tradition held that when the waters were disturbed, there was an angel uh, in the waters and that the front into the waters would be healed. We read that in verses 4. It says, uh, For an angel went down at a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then, first after the troubling of the water, stepped and was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And so because of this, because of the fact that there was uh, it considered to be this healing that took place. Now we're not told in the passage for sure whether this is true or whether this is just tradition, okay? It doesn't say for sure either. But we can consider that more than likely this is probably what's taking place. I mean, there's a reason the people are gathered here at the pool. And because of this, there's a whole multitude, it says in verse 3, of sick and lame gathered at the pool seeking to be healed, seeking to be burst down into the water. And among these is one man that Christ singles out and pays particular attention to. One man that Christ talks to and indeed Christ heals. And it's this man that I want us to consider this morning in our short that we've got. I want us to consider this man because this man is a picture of every single one of us. Notice firstly, if you would, this man's sorrowful condition. His sorrowful condition. Look in verse 5. It says, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. And the first thing we see about this man is that he was in a sorrowful condition. The Bible says that this man had had an infirmity for 38 years. So for 30 years, this man had been in this condition. Now, we're not told how old he is, so we don't know whether this is all of his life or you know, he was able to look earlier on in his life and then he got this infirmity. But the point is, for 38 years, this man has been in this condition. For 30, this man was unable to help himself. He's in a condition of misery, a condition of great sorrow 
We're not told exactly what the disease is that troubles him, but we know that he can't walk, okay? He's crippled in some way. Look in verse 7, it says, The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool. While I am coming, as steppeth down before me. And so this man is crippled in some ways, unable to get himself into the pool when the waters are troubled. Everyone else beats him to the water effectively. So he can he's crippled in some way. And for 38 years, he's been in this condition. Now think about that for a second. For 38 years, this man has been in this sorrowful, pitiful condition that he's in. You know, it's made, made worse by the times in which he lived. I mean, he's not in our day and age where there's a lot of help for people who are disabled. I mean, back then there was no like that. And so this man is in a, a very sorrowful, pitiful condition at this time. And it seems like he's beyond hope. That he's beyond hope except for a miracle. This man has no hope of being healed. You know, as we consider the sorrowful condition of this man, you know, we see a picture of every single one of us. You see, every single one of us is born into a sorrowful condition. And that condition, that infirmity that we have is called sin. We're all born with this condition called sin. And it is indeed a sorrowful condition. It paralyzes us. It paralyzes us and, and we are seemingly like this man beyond hope. There's no hope of being cured of this problem, our sin. You know, in Romans 3.23 it says, For all have sinned and are short of the glory of God. That's all. It says all. That's every single one of us here this morning. We are all sinners. We've all sinned against Almighty God. We've all fallen short of His glory, it says. In other words, none of us can ever reach up to God's holy standards. We all fall short. We're all in the eyes of a holy God. In Isaiah 64 and verse 6, says that all of our righteousnesses are as filthy rags. In other words, the very best that you and I can do is still sin. It's still filthy in the eyes of God. Without Christ, we cannot please God. We are sinners. This is the condition that we are born into. That's a sorrowful condition. And it's a condition that is without hope, except for a miracle. It's without hope. Now, verse 6, verse 23 says, For the wages of sin is death. In other words, the penalty for sin is death. And that means eternally separated from God. It's much more than just physical death. Death is eternally separated from Almighty God in the lake of fire. That's the destiny of every single one of us without Christ. It's the destiny that we're all born into. All mankind is born in us, destined for eternity, separate from God and the fire. And so we see the sorrowful condition of this man. Secondly, we see the humble position. His humble position. Look in verse 5 again. It says, And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty and eight years. At the start of the verse there, it says, A certain man was there. Now, where was he? Well, this man was at the pool of Bethesda among all the other sick and the lame. Verse 3 says, In these lay a great multitude of impotent folk, of blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. So at this pool, there is a great multitude of sick, a great multitude of people who have problems, who have conditions similar to this man and different from this man as well. There's, there's a great multitude of people. And you see, it's among this group that this man is found. This man is there at the pool with the rest of the and The point is that this man had to humble himself and take up this position. This man had to go to the pool acknowledging that he's sick and he needs to be healed and wait there with everyone else. He had to acknowledge that he needed healing. 
He had to admit the condition he was in. He had to humble himself and daily wait by the pool. Long to be healed. He had to wait for the troubling of the water. You know, he had to take this first step if he was going to be healed. You know, if this man had sat at home and said, no, I'm not going to the pool. I don't want to go there. There's all those sick people. I might catch something. You know, I'm not going to go there because I want to stay at home. I don't want to wait by the pool day in, day out. If he had done that, this man would not have been there and he would have seen Christ. This man would have missed out on the healing that was going to be offered to him on this particular day. You see, he had to humble himself and be there. He had to acknowledge the condition he was in. You know, likewise, every single one of us are born sinners. You know, we must acknowledge that condition before God. Before ever you and I can get saved, before ever we can be healed of this condition we are in, we must acknowledge our condition to God. Now, that's why a lot of people don't get saved. That's why a lot of people are still on the way to hell because they refuse to acknowledge that they're a sinner. They refuse to acknowledge that God is God and they have a responsibility to Him. So before ever we can get saved, we must first admit our sinful condition. We must admit that Romans 3.23 is talking about us when it says all, that we are part of that, that we are indeed sinners. In James chapter 2, verse 10, just turn over there and read that verse. You've got your Bibles, James chapter 2, verse 10, it says, Whoever shall keep the whole law and yet offend in one point, he guilty of all. So the Bible tells us that if we offend in one point, we're guilty of all. And every single one of us here this morning has offended in one point. And so we're all guilty before God. We are all sinners from birth, lost and destined for eternity, separated from Him in the lake of fire. You know, the first step, as I said, in getting saved is to recognize that you're a sinner. Acknowledge before God that you're a sinner if against him, humbly admit our position to him. But we see here this man's fruitless effort. His fruitless effort, look in verse 7. The impotent man answered him, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down. You know, the outline for us in verse 7 is clearly this man's efforts to heal him. In a sense that he has tried in vain numerous times to make it into the pool. You know, when the water's troubled, he's tried his best to be the first one down. He's tried to be water at the right time. Yet every time he's missed out, he's watched someone else step down into the waters before him. This man is continually missed out. Despite his best efforts, he's missed out. Despite his best efforts, this man is still lame. This man is still unable to walk. He's still crippled. You see, his very best only ended in failure. His very best was not enough. The point is, there was nothing that this man could do to heal himself of this condition. He was helpless. His efforts were fruitless. You know, once again, this reminds us of our own fruitless, our own fruitless efforts to save ourselves. To save ourselves from this sorrowful, sinful condition that we are born into. You see, there is nothing that any of us can do to get ourselves to heaven. There's nothing any of us can do to save ourselves from eternity separated from God in hell, in the lake of fire. There's nothing we can do. See, coming to church like this will not save you. Going to programs on a Friday night will not save you. Going to youth group will not save you. Reading the Bible will not save you. 
being born into a Christian home that save you. You see, none of these things can save us. Doing good works cannot save us. Titus 3, verse 5, turn there with me. A verse I know most of us know well, but let's turn there. Titus chapter 3. Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, Not by righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration and the renewing of the Holy Ghost. It says at the start of the verse there, Not by works of righteousness, which we have done. Not by works of righteousness. You can't be saved by good works, by good deeds, by doing good things. We can't be saved by trying to keep the law, the Ten Commandments. This doesn't save us. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9 says the same thing. It says, for by grace you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves is the gift of God, not of works, lest any man should boast. You see, salvation is not by works. We cannot do anything to heal ourselves, to get ourselves out of this sinful condition. You see, just like this man, all of our own efforts are fruitless and in vain. Everything you and I do is fruitless. It's in vain. And despite our best efforts, all of us are still destined for hell without someone stepping in to save us. That's where fourthly we see now the merciful deliverer. The merciful deliverer. Look in verse 6 with me. It says, When Jesus saw him and knew that he, he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? You know, in verse 6 here, we see this, saw this man lying there. As Christ is walking through the pool of Bethesda here, he, he sees this man. He spies this man. And the Bible says that he knew that he had been now a long time in that case. In other words, Christ knew everything about this man. And indeed, Christ is the Son of God, and so he knows everything, and he knew everything about this man's predicament. Christ knew that this had been there for 38 years in this condition. Christ knew this, and so Christ has mercy upon him. He has compassion upon this man. You know, out of all the people, Christ focuses on this man. He was out this man. He knew the sorrowful condition he was in. Christ knew all about this man's fruitless efforts to get into the pool. And Christ now has compassion on this man and Christ him healing. And Christ says to him in verse 6, he says, Wilt thou be made whole? Wilt thou be made whole? Now, in the Greek, the original language which the news was written in, this literally means, do you wish to be made whole? That's what he's asking the man. He says, do you want to be made whole? Now, of course, this was what the man wanted. For 38 years, this is what all the man had desired, to be healed, to be able to walk, to be free of his crippled weight. To be out of his sorrowful condition, this was what the man wanted. But you know, at first he failed to see that it was possible through Christ. You see, his re response in verse 7, it's that it says in verse 7, The impotent man answered him, Sir, I know man, when the pool is troubled, to put me into the pool. Uh, sorry, yeah, when the water is troubled, to put me into the pool. But while I'm coming, another steppeth down before me. You see, his response here is to think that Christ is speaking about the water. And so at first, he doesn't understand Christ is actually offering to heal him. He doesn't understand that Christ can, offer, can heal him. Later on in the passage, we see that the man actually didn't even know who Christ really was. He had no idea that the one talking to him was Christ, the Messiah. And so he thinks Christ is speaking about the water. And he says, yeah, I want to be healed, but I can't do it. I can't get there. I miss out every time. 
And you know, Christ responds to this in verse 8, and he simply says, Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. You know, Christ responds by simply telling him, says, Take up your bed and walk. Now, could you imagine this man's shock at hearing this? For 30 years, this man has not been able to walk. For 38 years, he's been in a crippled state. And now here's this man before him, this strange man, saying, rise up and walk. You know, if anyone else had said this to him, it would have been completely useless. You know, if one of the man's friends had come along and said, oh, rise up and walk, it would have had no power. It would have done nothing to him. Only Christ saying these words had had power and authority to say it. Only Christ. You see, Christ is the only one capable of saving this man from the condition that he's in. Christ and Christ alone, no one else helped this man. Only Christ had the power and the authority to serve. You know, likewise, Christ is the only one capable of saving us from our sin. We said that our efforts are fruitless and in vain. Well, the efforts of any other man are in vain. The only one who can save us from our condition, our sinful state that we are born into, is Jesus Christ. You see, He is our merciful deliverer. He is our merciful deliverer. He came down from heaven's glory. He left heaven, came as a man to die on the cross for each and every one of us. To die there and be buried and rise again the third day. He did that for you. He did that for me. So that we might be saved, so that we might have a place in heaven with Him one day. You know, the Bible tells us that it's only through His precious blood that we can be redeemed, that we can be saved. Turn to 1 Peter chapter 1. First Peter chapter 1 verse 18. says, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold, from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot. It's the precious blood of Christ that is able to redeem us. In other words, save us from our sin. Only Christ's blood. Only what Christ did for us can save us. Nothing else. Silver and gold and everything else cannot save us. Only what Christ has done for us. In 2 of 1 Peter and verse 24, we read this. It says, Who his own self bear our sins in his own body tree, that we being dead to sin should live unto righteousness by his stripes, you were healed. Christ bore our sins in his own body on the tree. In other words, when Christ died on the cross, he died in our place. He died bearing the shame, bearing our sins upon himself. He took our punishments. Christ was innocent. Christ is the perfect son of God. He did not deserve to die. But you and I did. You and I do. But Christ took that place for us. Christ took that punishment upon himself. It's by his stripes, it's by what he said that you and I can be healed. You and I can be saved from our sinful condition. You know, Christ didn't have to do this. Christ didn't have to leave heaven's glory and provide a way of salvation. He didn't have to come and die in our place, but he did so because he loves us. John 3, 6 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son. That's why Christ came, because God loved us. Enough to send his son to provide a way of escape. You know, people often say, how can a loving God send people to hell? 
Well, the truth of the matter is God doesn't want anyone to go to hell. He's provided the way of escape. Mankind is just too stubborn to, re- to turn back to him and be saved. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 9, says the Lord is not slack concerning his promise, but so- as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering to askward, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God does not want anyone to go to hell. God does not want anyone to spend eternity separated from Him. God wants all to be saved. And that's why He sent His Son to provide the way of salvation. And He offers it to every single one of us. You see, in His mercy, He has provided a way of deliverance for all mankind. He is our merciful deliverer. But you know, just because He has offered it to all, doesn't mean that we're all saved. We must accept it by faith. That's the last point I want to look at here, the sudden change that takes place. The sudden change, look in verse 9. It says, And immediately the man was made whole, and took up his bed and walked, and on the same day was the Sabbath. You know, now we see here the sudden change that takes place. You know, this man, as I said, had been unable to walk for 38 years, struggling with this condition that he was born into, or that it somehow come upon him. But now he stands up and he walks at the command of the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, the man had to believe the word of Christ, didn't he? He had to accept it and obey. You know, this man could have responded by sitting there and laughing at Christ and saying, you've got to be kidding me. You know, for 38 years I haven't been able to walk and you think that you're just going to tell me to stand up and walk. He could have laughed at Christ. He could have rejected the words of Christ. You know, he doesn't do that. Instead, this man's response is to act in faith. This man believes the words of Christ. This man believes that for some reason Christ is able to... And so he listens to Christ. He obeys Christ. And he stands up and walks. He believed, and that's why this man was healed. He exercised faith. Now, the change that took place was both sudden and it was complete. You know, in verse 9, it tells us that he was immediately made whole. Immediately. The Lord healed this man completely. Just think about that for a second. For 38 years, this man has not been able to walk, so his, his muscles are completely wasted away. He's got no coordination. And yet the Lord, in this heals him. This man doesn't need physiotherapy for the next six, seven months to heal him. This man, in an instant, is healed. In an instant, this man is able to walk. His, his muscles are strengthened. The coordination is there. And he rises up and walks. Christ is the only one who had this power. Christ is the only one who could command this man to do it. And this man acted in faith and he was healed because he did so. Now likewise, to be healed of this infirmity that plagues each and every one of us, this infirmity called sin, you and I must place our faith and trust in Christ individually. You know, just because your parents have done it, make you saved. We have to, as individuals, accept Christ. Christ has done it all. He's made it possible for all mankind to be saved. But to be saved, we must, as individuals, accept Him by faith. Christ has done it all. He's on the cross. He paid the price for our sin, but we must believe. Acts 16, let's just turn there. Acts 16. Here we have the story of a Philippian jailer and 
he gets saved. I want us to read what he happens here in verse 29 of Acts 16. It says, Then he called for a light, sprang in, and came trembling, and fell down before Paul and Silas, and brought them out, and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And they said, Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ, and thou shalt be saved and thy house. This man simply had to believe. He says to Paul, he says, what do I have to do to be saved? And the response is, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. John 3.16 tells us the same truth. For God so loved the world, his only begotten Son, that whosoever believeth in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. You see, all that is required for each and every one of us to be saved is to accept him by faith. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. You know, when we do, the change is immediate. Just like the crippled man was immediately healed, and I are immediately and completely saved. We don't have to do anything else. Simply believe the words of Christ. Believe what Christ has done for us there on the cross. Accept Him by faith and be saved. And when we do, we are immediately given a life. Immediately saved from the condition we're in. John 5 verse 24 tells us that we pass from into life eternal. From death to life, we have now life everlasting. Just like this crippled, Christ has the power to heal us. Christ and Christ alone. And indeed, he offers that healing to all, but we must accept him by faith to be healed. I wonder today, have you experienced that healing power? Have you experienced the healing power of Christ? Have you accepted Christ as your saviour? Or are you still lost, crippled by your sin and on your way to hell? You know, like this man, we're all born with an infirmity. It's called sin. And because of sin, we're all lost and on our way to hell. But praise God, God loves us enough to provide a way of escape. A way of escape for each and every one of us. And that way is through Christ. There is no other way of salvation. There's no other way. You can't get there by coming to church and sitting here to there's no other way of salvation but to believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Admit you're a sinner, admit your condition, and accept Him by faith. I wonder today if you accepted Christ as your Savior. Can you say without a shadow of a doubt that you're on your way to heaven? And if not, if you're unsure, then why not accept Him today? Why not allow us today to know from God's Word how you too can know the Savior? Let's close in a word of prayer. Dear Lord and Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for your wonderful word. Lord, we thank you, Lord, for the illustration of this crippled man. And Lord, each and every one of us are born into a, a sorrowful, sinful condition. And Lord, on our way to hell, we thank you so much that because you loved us, you sent your Son to provide the way of escape. And Lord, I pray that if there is anybody here today who's not saved, anyone who's unsure of their salvation, that Lord, you work in their hearts and that Lord, they would today um, Lord, the decision to come to you, that they acknowledge their sinful condition, that acknowledge that they need to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, I pray if there is anybody like they would, Lord, come and see one of us, come and see myself or pastor and ask us, Lord, how they can be saved before it's too late. Bless as we close, we pray in Jesus' name.